Great. No? Totally kidding. All right, we're going to look at Acts 1 today. And so one of the reasons I'm picking this year's time, everyone knows I'm planning, or some of you know I'm planning a church. And so we had our first meeting a couple weeks ago, and a bunch of people showed up. And, but one of the things to think about is why are we planning a church? And the same reason for you guys, you bring a new pastor in, for what purpose? Simply to fill a pulpit? Or do you have some bigger plan? Is there some bigger plan that God has? And what's interesting about the book of Acts is it literally does begin to tell us what a church should look like, what it should feel like. And so and so even as we begin, I'm driving around Lincoln, I'm, you know, because we're trying to figure out where exactly we're planting, so I'm looking around churches. But what's interesting is I've been there now in Lincoln. From my accent, I didn't grow up in Nebraska, sorry. I grew up out of Chicago, but driving around for the last 20 years I've been in Lincoln, to realize how many churches have sort of popped up, then all of a sudden grown, and then now they're barely making it. And a lot of them are making it because they have a daycare, and the daycare covers their bills, and that's why they're in it. But what's interesting is what happens to churches that all of a sudden they sort of become obsolete in a sense. And part of it is because one reason is we all know is that you sort of give up the word, right? You just sort of go in the culture, you're trying to make everybody happy, and you just you don't care anymore. The other thing is, maybe you get so stuck on your traditions, you can't function outside that. And so even the word doesn't really matter. It's more about, well, we've always done it this way and we got to keep doing it this way. And you sort of fall behind as well that way. So as I'm thinking about this church, I'm trying to think, how do we stick to what's godly and not what I personally want or what, you know? And so it's interesting. So as we read this book, this first chapter, it really is interesting what he's telling the disciples they need in order to be to accomplish the task he set aside for. Let me read this, and then I'll pray. This is, we're just reading 1 through 11 in Acts 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented a lot, himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed upon his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus, this Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the fact that, honestly, you love us, and you, you gave us the ability to know you. And I pray that today as I speak, you will literally... Give me the words to say and get me out of the way in a sense and, and have you speak clearly to what you want us to learn here today. In your name, amen. So what's interesting about this book, if you know this about Luke, Luke wrote Acts, and so the book of Luke's and Acts are sort of like, almost like this, Acts is a sequel to Luke. And so even when he starts off in this statement, the first one through three verses, he's talking about Thef this Theophilus. And if you go back to, and I'll just read it to you, but in Luke 1, 1 through 4, it starts off this, since many have undertaken to compile an account of things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seems fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in order sequential, 
orderly, sequential, most excellent Theophilus. And so we know that Luke, whatever, is either being paid or giving, and Theophilus, the most excellent would mean he's probably somebody in higher life. He's probably got, got some, he's either in the government official or whatever. But so Luke is writing, in a sense, keeping tracks, and, and in a sense, his letter goes to Theophilus, which we obviously we are using, which God also speaks to us. But what's interesting is when he thinks about that, so Acts is, Luke is about what Jesus did, and then Acts is about what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit. And if you imagine the disciples hanging out with Jesus for three years, right? All of a sudden, he's crucified. They don't quite get what's happening, right? They're, then they all flee. Jesus then shows back up for 40 days. He's in and out of their lives talking to them. And they're like excited. And the crazy thing to me is the last spoken words of Jesus on earth are these words right here. And listen to these words. The disciples, now think about this. Jesus has rose from the dead. They saw him die. They're running around. He's back. They realize he's alive. Still doing miracles. Still telling everybody. And this is what the disciples ask him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What is wrong with you? Of course, that's just, it's just like us, right? We always think what's important is not important. What, but literally, this and then Jesus' last words, like these are the last, maybe we should memorize this, the last words Jesus speaks in earthly form, on earth, last words he speaks. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons for when the Father has fixed by his own authority. Like, in other words, it doesn't matter. Stop worrying about that. And what does he say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What is he giving them to do? Go spread my message. Doesn't matter if Jesus is coming back before I finish the sermon, or if he's going to come back a million years from now. That is not our concern. He told his disciples, your concern is to what? Take this message to the ends of the earth. But he says, wait. Right? Stay in Jerusalem, hang out there. And he, we all know in a couple of days is when Pentecost happens and all the, the disciples start speaking in foreign languages and everyone can understand the word of God because we need the spirit. And you think about it, when if you knew somebody, like we've all lost people in love, right? For them leaving, nobody wants that, right? It, it, it's like, that's the last thing we want. But in a sense, Jesus dying gave us something better. Now, I don't mean better like superior, but like Jesus in his human form could be at one place and at one time, right? He could, he's only where he's physically located. When Jesus left to go be with God and sit on his right hand, he sent us, in a sense, him in spiritual form that can be within each one of us. So now Jesus, in a sense, can be everywhere and time doesn't matter. And so in some senses, that's what Jesus said is, I'm going to give each one of you all of us who are in this room who have a relationship with Christ, we get the Spirit to guide us, to direct us, sometimes confront us, right? But it's through that power that we're able to do what God's asking us to do. And so often I think as a church planner or planning planter, I sort of want to do it on my own giftedness or my own strengths or my own whatever. Like, I can pull this off, no big deal. And I think oftentimes we think the same thing. We can just pull it off. We, we have, you guys are all gifted in some ways. I'm just going to use my gifts. Well, that's not what God is saying, right? God is saying, let the Spirit lead you, wait for him, and then go where he goes. Go in the direction he wants to go. So I don't know if you've ever heard an audible voice from God. I have not. I have, in my heart, done things. 
unwillingly because I, I felt like God wanted me to. Like going to seminary. I may have told you that story. I hate school. I barely graduated high school, barely graduated college, work in construction, and I'm sitting around and this guy goes, you need to go to seminary. I'm like, you're out of your mind that I'm going back to school. I apply. Within 24 hours, the school calls me and says, you're in. I'm like, tell my wife we're going to go to school. She goes, let's wait a year. I go, we wait 35 seconds. I will never go back to school again. But like that, my brother, remember, sitting in an in a auditorium, listening to a guy preach about going overseas, and he knew at that moment he should go, and he went to Ethiopia for 25 years. Like, we sometimes, in my, we sometimes have to listen to the Spirit. And what God is saying to these disciples, wait, now think about for a second, too. When you think about these disciples, 10 of the 11 disciples die some horrific martyr death. Now, why would anybody do that if it was false? They wouldn't. Chuck Colson tells this great story. You remember old Chuck Colson? You know, Watergate, bad thing. He, I remember him talking when he came to Christ. One of the stories he actually said was he goes, I have some of the smartest men in the world with me. We can't keep a lie for six days. He goes, there's no way this can't be true for 11 men to die. For a lie, if they knew it was a lie, it would never happen. Right? Never happen. And so, what I challenge you to think about is when what is sometimes, and I get it, we're PCA, so we like to keep things a little down, down low, get too excited, it's bad. We don't want people running through the aisles doing crazy things. But there's a sense where, as PCA people, we have a tendency to sort of shut the Holy Spirit down because we're afraid of what might happen. It gets out of our normal realms. Right? Nor do we want the opposite side where it's like anytime you have an emotion, say it to somebody. Like, yeah, y'all know that people, right? Who you know, walk up to somebody who's like, God told me to pray for you, and you say something like, <clears throat> but, but the reality is the Spirit is going to lead us at times down paths we don't want to go. And my challenge here, and as a church planner, my challenge is to walk down those paths, whether I think it's a great idea or not, if I truly think that's what God's told me to do. And the same way with you guys. In Fremont, what is God calling you to do? Not just as a church, but as individuals. We are so quick to try to shut the spirit down. Like, I don't want to do it. It's so uncomfortable. Uncomfortable only lasts a little bit. Doesn't last a long time. So I knew this old man who actually helped me plant the first church I planted. His name was Rod Johnson. and I think at the time when he helped us plant it, I think he was 82, 83. I forget how old he was, but Guy was fantastic. Loved Jesus. Great job. And I remember on his deathbed at like 85 or 86, he had Parkinson's and some other things that he was dying. And he goes, Adam, I wish I was a charismatic as he was dying. And I go, really? And he goes, well, he meant more like the idea. He goes, I just want to follow the Spirit. And he, goes, he goes, I spent so much time in my life, I think, trying to deny what God wanted me to do. And I just wish I would have just let it go and done what God wanted. He was a missionary also in Ethiopia for like 10, 12 years. And, but when you think about all that, what stops us from doing what God's calling us to do? I mean, the number one time, every time it's fear. We're fearful of what might happen or how, what, what response we're going to give. And it's just interesting because we have the disciples right, who walked with Jesus, saw it all, experienced it all. And God says, I'm going to give you, in a sense, a better gift. I'm going to give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave. And you wonder why at times he left the way he left. I honestly think at times he left that way 
So the disciples understood he's not coming back. Like in a sense of like, it's not like he just disappeared like his death and he'll be back in two weeks. I mean, like, he's going up to heaven and something else is coming to guide us and lead us. And he calls his people, what? To go out and make a difference. To go out and change the world in the name of Jesus. And so, and we all know that the gospel spread because these guys were persecuted and kept moving. They tried to stay out of persecution and it just spread like wildfire over the whole globe. Right? Which is fascinating. And it's fascinating because these were not educated men. These were not like the cream of the crop, so to speak, of their societies. They were the lowly. They were lesser than, in a sense, what the world imagined they should be. Yet God used them. We got all this scripture in front of us. We got all the stuff we know about God because of their willingness to write things down. Their willingness to go and keep talking and keep broadcasting to other people. But why does it stop us? And here's the challenge part. Part of it is because we don't really believe it all the way. At times we doubt. Is it really true? I could be wrong, right? I'm wrong about other things. Maybe I'm wrong about this. There's this great story from a guy in Africa, villager. He lives in his village of like, I don't know, a couple hundred people and literally lived in a village. They didn't have running water. They lived in huts and stuff. He leaves to go into town to do some work. And when he's in town, meets a Christian, and this guy tells him about Jesus, and he gives his life to Christ. And he's super excited. So he starts walking back to his village. I think it took him, if I remember correctly, like a day, a day and a half, something to get back. Gets back to his village. He's so excited. He goes around hot tub telling everybody about who Jesus is. Village gets so upset, so frustrated. They start beating him with barbed wire, bats, whatever, to almost the point that they throw him in the jungle and leave him. Day or two later, he sort of wakes up, comes to his senses, and he's like, must have said that wrong or something. So he gets up, literally, and goes back to the village to tell them again. And this time, the village just starts doing it again, beating him up. And these ladies in the village protected him and stopped him. And over time, the whole village, I mean, roughly speaking, all came to know Jesus. What was the difference? There was a man who heard about Jesus and could not imagine not telling his friends. Couldn't imagine. His, his family, this village, his family couldn't imagine. Holy Spirit led him to go back and share, and he shared. And his first reaction when things don't go well was like, that was a bad idea. Let's go somewhere else. His first reaction was, man, I should have said it differently. Or I, should have, man, I, didn't, I didn't present that right. Because who wouldn't want this? And then he goes back in. But that's what you get when the Spirit leads you. What the world thinks about you doesn't really matter. Honestly, what your family thinks about you doesn't really matter. What matters is, is pleasing and loving the Father. Right? And the Spirit can give us power to do that. We're not going to muster that up on our own. But I want to challenge you guys to think about something. you got this guy. Are they coming next, is it next weekend? You have a man coming in next weekend. Hope he's the dude. Really do. But if he's not, I hope you can say, ah, great, thanks, bye. But, but in reality, but what we want you, but what, what you want is, is this the guy that's going to help you 
take the next step. Now here's the deal. You don't need him to take the next step. Right? He's not necessary for what God's calling you to do. He can help you do that, but he's not necessary. God has a body of people right here that are necessary to do what God wants to do. People have, well, most of you have been born, raised, and lived in Fremont a large portion of your lives. You know this place better than anybody else. You probably know their people better than anybody else. And the reality is, you can grow, you can do whatever you want, simply by following God's lead. And here's what happens when you follow God's lead. It may start with your own repentance. We, I think one of the songs we sang was about those who don't worry about repenting. And then, but like, maybe it starts with yourself. I think about it all the time as a church partner. Like, where am I going to screw this thing up? Because at some point, I'm going to do it. Right? I'm going to do something dumb. Or do, I mean, and the reality is, I spend a lot more time on my knees, a lot more time in prayer, a lot more time going, oh, God, where's, where's, where am I getting Satan a foothold to get into my life? Show me those doors. Show me those ways so I can figure out, get accountability or whatever. They probably put it, I don't give Satan that shot. But that is not because I'm a good person. That's because I'm afraid to fail. And I know the Spirit, if he doesn't show up, I'm toast. And this church plant's toast. And yet, God still keeps doing crazy, wonderful things. People still show up and go, like we had our meeting, uh, I think it was the last time I preached, maybe. Was it right before the Super Bowl? Whatever. And like 60-some people show up. No, not everyone's going. They're just interested in, like, in what's happening and stuff. So we have another meeting tonight. And I have already more people, other interested people who are coming. And they're not coming because I'm crazy, wonderful or anything, because I'm not. I'm just an average, normal Chicagoan who can't really speak English very well. But the reality is, what is leading them is the spirit. What they're getting a glimpse of is, we quote over and over again, if you're coming on this plant, there's one job. Who are you bringing with you? And I don't want a bunch of church people. I want people who don't know Jesus. We don't need to sorry, steal everyone else's sheep. What we need to do is figure out the other sheep that haven't been found yet. And so people come, and even my, this is fantastic, my in-laws are coming, and he's, Wayne is 80, just turned 83? 82. And then my mother-in-law is 70, or 80, sorry. And he said to me, he goes, I keep thinking about who does God want me to bring at 82 years old. He goes, who else does God want me to bring? Who should I be going after? And so he's starting to make a list. Some of my family members, some of our neighbors, I mean, like, that he's going to go have that conversation. That's the spirit getting freedom in his life to, let, to lead him. Exactly what he told the disciples. Wait for the spirit, then you go. Do whatever the spirit tells you to do. Right? And our problem as PCA people, it's scary. <laughs> it's abnormal in some senses for us to just go by not, not your feeling, but where you feel like God says, go, go. Greatest thing about church planning. Greatest thing about, I think, if you, when your church, whatever happens, and you say, is when you get to see God do things, you're like, oh, how'd that happen? That's unbelievable, right? That's when you get excited about what's happening in your faith and in your reality. And so the, the, the world works in a big circle. And I look at it this way. If you're loving God and praying and doing all those things, and you start doing that, and then you see God do some miraculous thing or miracle. It gets you excited, and that wheel, that energy just goes. That's how you see churches, in a sense, blow up in a sense of in a good, right? 
people start coming to Christ. And I have experienced that in my life. I did a Youth for Christ, or, yeah, Youth for Christ, back you know, late 80s when I was in college. And literally, we had so many kids coming to Christ that one kid goes, can you tell me about Christ? And I go, I can't today. I have too many appointments. Like, I was, but, and it wasn't like we were, I mean, we were dumb college kids. I, I knew very little. I mean, we, we just loved kids and hang out with kids. And all of a sudden, the spirit moved and just tons of kids. I mean, I think it was like 35 kids came to Christ, like in, in two months. And the reality is, it wasn't us, because we, we had no idea <laughs> what we were doing. But it was, the reality was watching God do it. But what I realized is every one of the volunteers, everyone who talked was so excited. We spent more time praying together, more time reading our Bible, more time just trying to soak up knowledge. And the more God did, I mean, we were just like crazy. Kids wanted to read their Bibles all the time. Fantastic. That's what happens when the Spirit literally moves. right? And that's why Jesus left, so that the Spirit would come. I mean, you think about that for a second. I think oftentimes we think, oh, if only Jesus was here, I would understand it so much better. I don't think you would. That's why he gave us the Spirit. And my greatest challenge could be, and it's a challenge to myself, stop denying what he tells you to do. Take a risk. If you're a high school kid in this room, have a friend who you've thought for years I should tell them about Jesus, and your thought is, I don't know how it's going to go. could go bad. Take a risk. What's the worst thing that could happen? You're just another nut job Christian they already know about. What's the greatest thing that could happen? They come to faith. We can spend all our lives protecting ourselves. We can spend all our lives denying the things Jesus is calling us to do and stick with what we think is safe or, or whatever. What fun is that? If you think about the fun times in your life, the things when you were most excited about Christ, one was Typically speaking, is when you saw the Spirit move. You saw God do something, you thought, wow, that's crazy. Made you feel, in some senses, that it was real. You felt it, you saw it, like, that is unbelievable. So I have that experience with a friend of mine, his name is Tony, gang cop in Chicago, like he's retired now. You know, worked with all the gangs and did all that bad stuff. I remember we were friends all through high school. I prayed for him all the time. I would literally take him books and mail them to him. He'd fill them out and mail them back or whatever, like when I moved away. And always thinking about it. And finally, like 20 years later, he comes to Christ. Nothing to do with me because I, I haven't been around him in 15. We see each other every once in a while. But, but you don't know what God will do with your with your words, with your actions, with whatever you're doing. You have no idea how God's using it. But you do know what God's doing with it if you don't go. Nothing. And if we want to be people of the Spirit, we have the Spirit to lead us and guide us. I would love, and I'll close with this, that someday I come back to Fremont. This place is crazy, out of control. There's not a person in the town of Fremont who hasn't heard about this church and the glory that it gives God. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And it's not that hard. Really not. The more they interact with you, 
The more they see you, understand you're a believer, you treat them differently, they understand what church you come to, you're treating them in a different way. They're all like, What's, that church is crazy. Like, they're so nice, I don't get it. And the only people who really hate you are the ones who really don't want Jesus to, to blossom you. And we can worry less about that. But I want to challenge you. I'm doing this church plan in, Nebraska, in Lincoln. I have no idea how it's going to go. I'm assuming it's going to go great because God's great, but I have no idea. But also, it doesn't matter. My job is not to make it happen. My job is to follow God who wants to make it happen. And if he does, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But I do want our church to be known as a place that loves people. And they love Jesus first. And I do. I'm so excited you have this guy coming in next weekend. I hope it's great. I hope he's the right guy. I have no idea. I don't know who he is. But and if he is, fantastic. And if he is, open your hearts to what he wants to do. And if he's not, give him a nice meal and send him home. Either way, right? I mean, but I know this. you got a good church here. You, every time I come here, you guys are good people. Every time I talk to you, it feels like you guys truly do love Jesus. Go make a difference. Pray to God as you leave here today that God tells you what you're supposed to do. Who you, where you're supposed to go. And do it. And I would challenge every one of you today, as you're eating lunch, driving home, whatever you do after, after this service, drive yourself, uh, take a prayer, and just say, Lord, or Spirit, tell me what you want me to do today. And try to learn to listen. Probably not going to speak to you out loud. I've always wanted him to throw a brick at me because that's really easy to follow. Probably not going to do that either. But I think in your conscience, because we're believers, you're going to begin to feel something or think something or maybe he's going to lead you down the path. Follow that path. Let's stop living like we're scared that the world can hurt us. Eleven men, right, followed Jesus, ten of them to their death in the name of Christ because that message was more important than any other message. That message was more important than their lives. That message. The message that will set all these people free your neighbors, your, the other people in town. It's the only message that will free us. It's the only message that will free them. I just spent the weekend at the wrestling tournament in, in Omaha. And if you know anything about wrestling parents, they're a little crazy. Uh, and I have four boys who wrestled. I've been coach, helping coach at East High for, know, forever. And, and wrestling parents are nuts. But what's hilarious is they are going crazy in the stands. We only almost had a parent get into a fight with another parent. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? All because the emotions are so high. They feel everything that's happening with their kid. That I sit there and I was literally, I don't know how many people there, the thing was packed on, on Saturday night. And I'm like, what would the church look like if we had this much passion for Jesus? What would it look like? Good question. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for these guys. I do pray this man who's coming in next weekend, Lord, if he's the guy, you would make that so crystal clear that they, they can't but unanimously say he's the guy. And if he's not the guy, Lord, I pray you give them patience and wisdom and, and guidance to find the guy who is the guy. And Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that they really will be a difference maker in this community and in this the society that they're in and that people who ever brush against them will, will 
not ever understand who you are. No, sorry, not that way, but they would totally understand who you are just by the way they interact with each other, they interact with others. And I, I pray that for myself too in my church plan. I pray that we really will be a place where your spirit leads and we're not afraid to follow you. In your name, amen. I know I'm supposed to do what?